Green Chili Adventure gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Um, great system. As a matter of fact, all the stuff they make is super tough. I've tried tons of it myself. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. And Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door. MAXBMW.com. They also have an e-rider newsletter you can sign up to for free. And they've got an online fiche that is fantastic for looking up parts. That's MAXBMW.com. I'm and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Today's story begins with what many would consider is a normal life. But Louisa reached a point where she knew things had to change, no matter how scary that may be. The next thing you know, she is riding a motorcycle and heading to the Bonneville Salt Flats to break a record. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. Cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Well, you know, it's not even guesswork. It's a proven fact that you will get more miles from your chain by oiling it regularly. Here's what you got to look at. The MotoBreeze chain oiler. It's got no moving parts, got no electrical parts. It runs off of air pressure and it's got vacuum connections that take the oil down and deposit it onto a felt pad that goes directly onto your chain. An ounce of oil gets you a thousand miles or 1600 kilometers. MotoBreeze.com. There's two eyes in there. MotoBreeze.com. Louisa Sweden had a good job at a publishing company, that is, until she decided to take a guided motorcycle trip. And because she didn't really have any riding experience before she went on the trip, the trip was absolutely terrifying. Yet instead of moving on from a stressful experiencing and calling it a day, Louisa fell head over heels in love with motorcycles and the community that surrounds them. I'm Louisa Sweden. I'm also known as the Existential Biker, and I'm an adventure tour guide, um, a racer, a um, philanthropist, um, an all-round writer, journalist. <laughs> Louisa, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You are about to race a motorcycle at Bonneville coming up. Now, for those listening to this, they're probably picturing a, a certain type of person with a certain type of life. But I want to go back to 1990 when you got your motorcycle test. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, so I really, I was convinced to do that by a friend of mine. Uh, and I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose and I've got a spare few weekends, you know. And those days, it wasn't quite as strict. The motorbike license was... Um, was, was was only one part. I know you have to go through several parts, certainly in the UK, um, and it's a bit of a waiting period before you can get on a heavyweight. But in those days, you could go from a, a 125 um, straight to a 1,000cc bike just by taking one test. Anyway, so I thought, well, I'll, okay, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'll take this test. Um, managed to pass it. 
And then two weeks later, um, and I was pregnant. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, was, I was about 20, 23, 24 at the time. And I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to carry on riding. And, and you know, it was just um, you know, a risk for myself is one thing, but not for any not for an unborn child. So, so that was that. And, and then, you know, life overtakes us. Um, and when we have commitments like that, um, they come first. So uh, a bike just wasn't practical for, for a young working mother. And I shelved the bike idea. Although I got my license, I never sat on a heavyweight and I never sat on anything greater than 125 until three years ago. You know, it, it's a fairly common story, isn't it? When you, when you talk with people, a lot of people get into riding when they're younger and then they get away from it to, to bring up a family because let's face it, in most cases, a motorcycle is an extra. It's, it's a toy that you're using that you can't really afford to have. So you end up getting rid of it. And then a lot of people get back into it when they get a little further on in life. Now, now you went on to work at, at a publishing company. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, so various publishing um, outputs, some library books at first, and then moving on to, in fact, um, magazines. And I, I, I got my first kind of writing, short writing break for a, a truck magazine. Um, and part of what I had to do was was take my, what we called in those days, a heavy goods vehicle license. But um, it was around 1999 in the UK, um, the, the haulage industry hit bit of rock bottom. Um, there were a lot of issues with cabotage and, and, and the, the industry was really on its knees. But fortunately for me, um, the company that I work for called Fairplay had a different, another string to its bow and, and that was maritime, um, maritime ships, um, commercial ships. Um, and a, a very lovely chap called John Prime sort of saw some, some potential in, in transferring me from the truck magazine to the ship magazine. Um, and I started to get involved in the production side of, of various weekly magazines and, um, and directories, all to do with um, ships, so information on ships, um, data on ship owners, on construction, etc. And you also had uh, a very large database of ships, which I bought from the Financial Times. And, and data started, you know, in, in the, the the early 90s in particular, started to become much more of a commodity. And, and so that part of the business took over. And, and I eventually found myself uh, in data publishing, maritime ships, and research and analysis. And, and so my, my career took me all over the world. Um, but there was a point where I, I started to feel that there was something slightly missing. And, and um, I found out what that was through the, you know, this, this period of, of deep introspection. When you said you found that out, that there, that there was something missing, how did you find that out? I think it was listening to my, my gut feelings. So I, I'm a very much a believer that if something isn't right, you, you, know, you, you should do something about it. And I was feeling that deep inside, I, I, I was not doing really what my heart was, was telling me to do. I was going through the motions, as lots of people do. Um, it was a, a good job. People were really good. The company was really good. But it was just something inside me that was saying, this, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. So um, I, I, I started to do a little bit of studying. And, um, and I enjoyed that because I didn't do an awful lot of studying when I was a kid. I just went straight out to work. Um, and I was really interested in the brain and psychology and, and um, neuropsychology. So I, I started to study that. I've always been interested in philosophy, so I was reading about that. And um, I, But during this period of introspection, I realized that the, 
big one of the big things that I really wanted to do was was travel and see the world and have adventures and and just you know the word adventure would would just make me jump up and down I knew that was what it was I mean I had a system I worked first for a system to do this I I thought right I'm 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 not happy I'm probably making other people unhappy just by being, you know, not, not a jolly, jumping, happy person. Um, what is it? What is it? So I truly believe that a lot of people don't actually know what makes them unhappy. And until you know what it is, you can't deal with it. So I spent about three months just writing down on a massive piece of paper um, all the things that brought joy into my, my world, all the things that made joy arise in me, the the kind of ball in your belly that you, you get when, you know, you know, your, your whole body knows when it's feeling happiness. And I wrote, write those down. And then when I finished that exercise, I did something which I think made all the difference. I turned those things into behaviors. I thought, what behaviors do I need to exhibit to manifest those feelings of joy? And the secret source in that is that when you turn something into behavior, you take responsibility for it. And I took responsibility for my own happiness. And then some of the things that were coming out were uh, adventure, joy, travel, helping others, etc. things like that. So, so at that point, you know, I, 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 was, I was actually getting, uh, getting, quite ill as well. Um, and I, I'll tell you something, I, I had the most amazing doctor who helped me through it because um, during all this time, you know, after I worked out what it was I needed to do, it meant a massive amount of change in my life, um, you know, losing security of all types. And I, I, I was finding it really stressful and I resisted that change. So I spoke to the doctor about something really minor, which is I think tennis elbow at the time. And he said to me, um, Okay, that's fine. You know, his prescription. I said, all right. Um, and I was leaving. I did a kind of Columbo thing. I said, oh, there's just one more thing. Um, is there anything you can give me for uh, anxiety? And then he did something which the best doctors do. And he put his pen down. He swiveled his chair towards me and he said, sit back down. What really is the problem? And I told him. And it was 40 minutes into this 10-minute consultation. He just I left with his advice ringing in my ears. He said, you need, to, you need to deal with this because if you don't, you will be ill, you'll be sick, and the stress will, will shorten your life. And I took that advice to heart. And the next day, I, you know, I spoke to people, I spoke to my work, and I said, look, I need to have a break. I need to go on sabbatical. I need to do some things that put this, these things into my life. And then I planned adventures. And, and, um, and it, it all came from that, really. Okay, so I, I'm going to jump back to to you know you discovering that that you're not happy. I mean, let's face it, you've you've got the world by the tail, so to speak, right? You you know you've you've got kids. Uh, I'm I'm assuming you've got your career going. It's a good job. You you liked it. So why is it that, you know, and, and I'm asking this sort of in a general sense, because I think this is something that a lot of people run into. I mean, let's face it, where does the, the whole term midlife crisis come from, which I'm not really a big fan of the, of the term, but I think it has to do with you. You get to a point in your life and you're thinking, I think as you learn through life, you get to a point where you think that this just isn't good enough for me. Is, is that what you were experiencing? Mm. Yes, that's pretty much it. I think, as you say, it, it, is, it isn't uncommon. Um, and I think most people find that they can't do anything. They feel they can't do anything about it. Um, they, there are, you know, there are things that tie us to, 
to our lives that we, we build up this 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 whole um, you know we, we build up the whole financial net around us um, which is designed to keep us secure we, we build up um, you know uh, we have a job which pays for some of the things that we like to do um, but I felt that time was the most important thing um, and the most precious thing and it was not so critical for me to you know to have all of the trappings what was critical was for me to have time and freedom to explore some of those things that really brought joy into my life. Um, I think many, many people are unfulfilled, but they they settle. Mm. And unfortunately, I just couldn't do that. I just had, you know, and I was making myself ill because it was obviously such an important part of my my psyche to go out there and experience things that it, it it wouldn't. It wouldn't let me go. It, it just was. It was just nagging at me, and I wasn't great. You know, I wasn't great fun to be around because of that. Well, and and it's it's not just that. Like I mean, it's not just that you're, um, uh, you know, you you find yourself. Uh unhappy it's, it's, it's that whole fulfillment of life isn't it you're you're to that point where you realize that this is not doing it, it may have done it at one point because i think when we're in our 20s you know you have certain goals and, and certain ideas of what life's about but as you get older you're looking for something different maybe and i hate to say something more because it makes it sound like we're somehow as you get older above the younger folk but you do you see a bigger landscape from an older age i i certainly agree i mean i think there's an awful lot that your body you your hormones put into this as well, and also your. You, we, I was at an age when my children were having children, and that's something else that happened to me in the last three years. All of this, all of these adventures, but a, a, such a big adventure for me was becoming a grandmother three times. Now, there's a point in your life when you realise that it's not that your work is done with your children. You're always important, and my goodness me, I'm, I'm loving you. Know, having my grandchildren I'm loving that I can I can teach them you know some of the things that I can teach them which are different from their parents I'm loving all that but it comes a point where you're not entirely dispensable but you you're not relied on for existence anymore so my children you know have their families of their own um they've flown the nest and and that's why I kind of I think there was a point where I felt released again I and I was picking up maybe from the person that I was when I was a teenager um, and I had all of these dreams and, uh, and hopes which were shelved for a good period of time and and quite happily shelved. Um, you know, it, it's just because the kids came first. But when there's the point of departure that you can, you can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel, you must take it um, because, you know, these opportunities are – are just few and far between. I find that you know, there's all too too much pressure from commercial enterprises to buy things. And when you start buying things and you have to work to maintain those things, I just feel that's so sad. Um, I, I just feel that's that's totally wrong. Um, it might be scary to change, but I would I would say I would implore people take a look at the point where you can make changes in your life. 
But when you when it comes to that point where you're deciding that what you sort of said there uh, is that you're looking to get away from your job and and sort of do things differently, um, I think you got a, a leave of absence or a sabbatical for a short period of time to begin with. But when you're doing that, what's like that's a very very difficult thing to do, and it's always easy for someone to say, "Oh, all you have to do is just you know dump your job and sell your house or or whatever the case is to change your life." Easy to say, but what do you find was the most? What did you find was the most difficult um, thing to deal with there. Was it financial? And I think you already alluded to the fact that you could get by with less. Was it dealing with the financial though, that that insecurity of um, walking away from something that really is all you've known for life is the steady job with a regular paycheck or, and possibly family and friends expectations. I, I mean, could, because what happens when you do a major change like this is people look at you as if there's something wrong with you or you're making a big mistake. And, and certainly all the other people that are towing the line that are doing the same life that you were doing or similar styles and have no plans on diverging from that, that trajectory that they're on, those people will tend or tend to be naysayers. So what was it that you found most difficult about it? I think, um, I think it was the feeling was so strong for me that I had to do this. That it was it's mostly the security aspect of it. You know, all my life I, I've worked. I never had a period when I wasn't working, um, and I think that scared me quite a bit. And I think um, that sort of shows in your you. I mean, you took a sabbatical rather than just saying, "Hey, I'm right. done." Yes, that's quite right. Yes, exactly. And you know, it it, it was a very it's very frightening, but, you know, not everything worthwhile is easy. Not everything, you know, worthwhile doing in your life. Great change is not always easy, but with great change comes opportunity. And you mustn't forget that. People always seem to think that change you know, is something to be feared. But in this bucket of change of, of all these intangible fears, I mean, there, I, I, I lump fears into two two sets. One's a tangible fear, you know, you go too fast, you'll have an accident. And the other is the intangible fear. If you if you, if you leave your job, if you change your lifestyle, um, you know, things might go horribly wrong. The intangible fear always contains a flip side of opportunity and opportunity to be happier, to make a brand new career, uh, you know, out of your, your world, which kind of has happened uh, for me. I'm, I'm, I started to do what I love, and yeah, you know, there's the, the, the money side is, is totally. You know, you don't do this for love. You don't go into motorcycling for love. It, yeah, for, for, for money. money, you do it for love. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, other things have come come my way. Things that I would never expect, like the Bonneville adventure. Um, and, and from that, I'm, what I'm going to be doing is, is filming that. And, and hopefully from that point on, who knows what will happen. It's being open to fate. It being open to chance. Um, it's taking a chance, a gamble. Um, it, it, it may not be work out the way you expect. In fact, it definitely won't. But you know what you've got. If you stay where you are, you, you're also taking a gamble because you're, there's a risk of it. You lose an opportunity and there's a, you know, there's a threat of losing an opportunity that's, that's there in the wings. So there are risks and consequences to not doing something as much as there is to doing something. And I found my family were really, really supportive. I'm really lucky in that respect. I, I've surrounded myself over time with the most amazing friends. 
And um, they're, the, they're the kind that say, you know what, I can see the joy that's in your eyes when you talk about this. You've got to do it. Um, and and you know, I, I, you know, with their support, you know, they've just helped me achieve so much more than I ever dreamed I could. In fact, my friends, I credit with just about everything. And, and with change, I mean, I always think um, with great change comes change. <laughs> and and it's it's interesting because most people will try and avoid that. That seems to be something that everyone's af- afraid of in life is change. But the fact of the matter is things change around you all the time and your life changes completely. I mean, how many of us look back to our childhood uh, area that, that we grew up in and see it's completely changed? It's, it's gone in most cases. Or maybe the way of life, you know, it's gone. There's nothing you can do. We, I think as humans, we try to hang on to the old ways because we're afraid of change, yet it's going to change anyway. So it sort of makes you look at things differently if you think about it that way and think, okay, so then what's the big deal about making a big change? And and as you mentioned, I mean, financial, I mean, obviously we all need money to get high on and that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, everybody has to weigh that up individually. But, but it's interesting that you took that six-month sabbatical because that tells me that, you know, you're not sure. You're going to test the waters first. What, what was it that you did to test the waters? So I wasn't really aware that it was motorcycle was motorcycling was going to be such a big feature. Um, I I initially had my sights on some sailing and uh, a little bit of travel and uh, the motorcycling was part of it. So I, I planned a trip which was to take me to Las Vegas and then sit on a, a heavyweight bike uh, which was a, an Indian Scout and which. Incidentally, was the first time in 24 years. Uh, you hadn't sat was, on a bike oh since you got goodness. your license on the 125. No, I was really yeah, the 125, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and it, oh my goodness, I was scared to death. But why, why, um, why choose a bike? There? Like, wh- how does that work into it? You're going to go to the States, the first thing you're going to do is get on a big bike. What brought that up? Uh, yeah, well, I, I heard, I think, um, I heard about this this group of tours that, that were going around in the Wild West. I think the company was Eagle, Eagle Rider. And I, I thought, that sounds really fun. I'll just join in. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I I joined that and I, I worked out that if I if I got on the bike and I would go through uh, Yosemite and go through Death Valley, I thought, what, what an adventure. Mm. Uh, you know, I'd go down the West Coast of America, down the West Coast Highway, um, down to Los Angeles. That for me was just how amazing. I did. I'm somebody who tends to say yes and then thinks about how it's gonna, how I'm gonna feel and how I'm gonna do it. And it's the same with the Bonneville thing. Um, you know, and I, 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 I'll tell you about that in a second. But I said yes without really thinking it through because <laughs> it just sounded so amazing. Is that, a, is that a life thing for you? Have you always done that? You know, you started saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm in there," and then think, "What have I gotten into?" Yeah, well, the, the dream comes first, and the route to it comes second. But it's and almost compulsive, think, isn't it? I mean, you're yeah, you're sort of whipping yeah. your hand up, saying, "Yep, I'm in," and then you're going to think yeah. about, "Okay, now what's this going to take?" Well, if you, if you snooze, you lose. You know, if you if you think about well, how am I going to do this, and then say, "Yeah, I'll do it," the opportunity might be gone. Yeah, but so but, I kind but of they, the that- person <laughs> who jumps too quick jumps out of the frying pan into the fire. I mean, there, there's there's those sayings for uh, for both sides of that. There's your conservative thought process and your adventurous yeah. process or liberal thought process. I have asbestos feet, Jim. Asbestos feet? <laughs> I jump into the fire. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. But did you do this at work as well? Like, so if a project comes up at work, do you all of a sudden just say, yeah, I'm there? 
yeah, if it's a good project and I believe in it, of course, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, you've got to, you make it happen. Um, you know, it's, it's up to you. And I, I pretty much believe that you can do anything if you try hard and you, you have a will and, you know, a, a, a can-do attitude. Um, I, I just think it, it'll work out. And, you know, so far as, um, so, so, you know, the heavyweight bike, getting on that and what, you know, I would have, I would have said to you, I'd been off far too much. I can't do this. If you, if, if you'd had a radio call with me on that day, I would have said, no, I'm going to give up. In fact, I nearly did give up about three days in. I just thought this is too hard. I was so scared. I was rigid. I was, I was dehydrated. Um, but you know, that was a, it's such an incredibly important trip for me because I met some people who have remained my friends and who encouraged me and coached me. Um, one guy in particular sort of made sure that I was okay, rode at the back with me, um, saw I was getting dehydrated, um, made me drink two liters of water because I was about to faint at one point. You know, I'm not saying that any of these things have been easy for me. They really haven't. But, you know, they've been so worthwhile. But what what else was so hard about it? What what did you find? It's stress. I, I found I thought that the, that it was a bit too heavy, too big for me, and I couldn't. I was frightened about breaking. I was frightened about going around corners. I was I was frightened of leaning the bike because I thought I'd lean too far and go over. Um, it, I was just you know I just bitten off too much. Um, mm. You know, all, all part it, of being a new rider, really. I mean, and then getting yeah, on a bike and doing a trip. I mean, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, and you know, and then there's the, the heat and the and all of the, you know, I still get self doubt even though I'm you know a bit of a can do person. There's still a massive amount of self doubt. Um, once I start embarking on it, I think, what am I thinking of, you, Louisa? What are you doing? Um, but people, they, you know, especially in the biking community, I found that they carry you through, and um, and that was what's so special because I I did go on to do. A sail, sailing trip, and in fact, I went from the Caribbean to New York, so north, uh, the, uh, crossing the Atlantic, and um, that was nowhere near the same. It um, it didn't it didn't feel the same at all. And I fell in love with the motorcycling on that on that sabbatical. It was the one thing when I came home to the UK. I thought I can't let this go. This has fulfilled me. This has brought that ball of joy into my life and introduced me to friendships and and the best people. Because I, I firmly believe that adventure travelers, they all have this this kind of world outlook. They're all lovers of, of, of experience. They're lovers of nature. They are you know much more open to the world. And, and those are my people. I've discovered that through the motorcycling, um, the wonderful bunch of people. And, and, you know, I always feel if you go into a room full of, of adventure motorcyclists, they're all your friend. It's just a question of how much a friend they're going to be. It, it's interesting that you have the most difficult time riding the bike and yet you come back with that as being your absolute highlight and something you, you find yourself obsessed with. Yeah, it, 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 it just shows you that the nature of relationships um, how important they are to us and, you know, how friendships are so important to us because I kind of felt, you know, 
I got through something with the help of other people. And I guess that's why I, I now want to try and do that for other people as well. And the whole thing, the, 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 the persona that I've created, the existential biker, came, came to me in a dream, actually. Um, a lot of things come to me in a dream when I sort of ask myself the night before how I'm going to deal with something. It comes to me in a dream. The persona is there to talk about I think my outlook on life and about how life is precious um, and how existentialism sort of emphasizes existence, freedom of choice. And, and that's really what, why I'm doing what I'm doing uh, and why I'm talking to people about it. It's because I do believe some people are just ready to do what I did and all they need is someone like I had to help them over that hurdle of doing it. Because life can be absolutely stunning when you're fulfilling your own ambitions, and and you know, and I, I have this this theory about about time, space, and it's it's sort of like a ripple, and if you can make a difference to someone in their lifetime, they go on to make a difference to someone else. It's like a good boss or a good parent, you know. You then carry that forward and be a good boss or a good parent. Uh, to the next one in line. And I kind of feel I want to make the biggest ripple I can so that as many people as I can influence through my writing and through my experience and publicizing what's happened to me through saying yes to life and helping other people, I want that to ripple through uh, and hopefully start you know, affecting other people and making them say, well, I have been putting it off. I don't need to put it off anymore. You know, or, or I, you know, I, I, I do want is it down to um, you know having a, 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 a an adventure that isn't quite what I really wanted, but feels tick some of the boxes, or or do I just save the money and put it towards a bigger flat screen TV? You know, I know what I would say, and, but and I think I know which would bring you most joy. But you know, that's up to the individual to decide. I, that is really why why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. The ripple effect works the other way as well. I mean, you know, just um, just having a confrontation with somebody over your coffee, driving your vehicle, driving your motorcycle, whatever the case is, has a ripple effect, doesn't it? I mean, we, we know we send people off with bad feelings and then that gets passed on to somebody else. And it's interesting for us to all keep that, I think, um, in mind as you go through life. But yeah, um, yeah. You, you came back from this adventure and then you went out and, and what? You bought a motorcycle? Yeah, yeah. It it took a little while, and in fact, the friend I made um, in the states on this trip, um, he said, "Have you got a bike yet? Have you got a bike?" And I was at the verge of thinking, "I can't do this again," um, because you know, in the states, it, it's it's much easier to ride in a in a information in a in a group tour because you know it's on your you're on rails. And, you know, you, you're a certain distance from the person in front, behind, and there's a tour guide to help you, um, you know, and everything, every stop is scheduled and all the roads are nice and big and wide. In the UK, we have these things called mini roundabouts and they are, mm. they are mini. And I, I, I couldn't for the life of me imagine getting, a, a turning around a mini roundabout in, in an Indian scout. Um, so I was putting off the decision to buy and then they said to me, look, why don't we go to the bike show? There's this, this bike show in, in the NEC in Birmingham once a year. Let's have a look at some bikes. So I did. And of course, that recaptured my imagination. And then a couple of weeks later, I, I did get myself an Indian Scout. And um, I, I was still frightened though. You know, I, I was at the point where I, again, 
didn't want to go fast. I wouldn't go faster than 50 mile an hour uh, on the motorway. I was, you know, I, I look back at how scared I was. Um, but I still did it through through encouragement of other people. I still went out every day, um, you know, and I, I tried my best. And then this friend, same friend, said to me, "Let's let's let's do a tour together." I thought, "Oh, okay." And then we went to um, we went with with the same company who, who um, and this is this is quite a lovely turn of events. But the same company went to the um, Hearts Mountains uh, on a tour with. Um, we basically, I was the slow one. I was the last person that you wanted to be riding with um, in a group form. You know, we weren't actually in formation because they run it slightly differently. Basically, you just go off on your own trip, but you you don't ride in formation. And I was, but I was really slow. And then it all changed in a moment when you know I I remember it so clearly. And life can do this to you. Just change in a moment. I was. I was just um, in a disused petrol station. I had been getting slower and slower and it had been raining, torrentious rain, and I was completely soaked and covered and I was pretty miserable. I was scared of the rain because I thought that the wet, I would slip. If I even, you know, one degree off of upright, I would be off and skidding. And anyway, the, the, the tour guy came to me and he said, um, you know, there's uh, – these these tires they're, they're made really well these days see these grooves they're all designed scientifically to, to filter all the water away so you've got much much more grip than you think you have and you know and billy walked away and i um i thought about what he said and i thought i'm letting fear stop me i'm letting fear stop me feeling joy i'm going to ride out of here completely different i'm going to ride out of here like i i'm a pro and I put fear to one side and I didn't ride out like a pro, but I changed that moment and I rode so much more confidently, which of course is safer in the rain anyway. Uh, the, the stiffer you are, um, you know, the more chance of, of an accident. So, so I, I, from that point on, I just dedicated to getting better and better. I did my various um, advanced motoring exams and, and, um, Royal Society of Preventative Accidents exams. I just dedicated myself to being safer on the road. And, and bit by bit, I managed to get faster and, and actually reach the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take just a minute or so to talk about two companies that helped bring this episode to you today. But when we come back, this is going to probably blow your mind a bit. Bonneville speed record, zero experience. How on earth could she get accepted to race? Stay with us. The Red Rock Garage is in Beaverdale, British Columbia. It is a coffee shop with a motorcycle addiction, and uh, we're really happy to be associated with them. A lot of people are stopping there as part of the route or even going out of their way to stop there. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, if you're doing the Alaska to Ushuaia trip, then you'd be a fool to not go by the Red Rock Garage because you'd miss a couple things. First of all, you'd miss an iconic stop for motorcycling, but you'd also miss a, a great riding area, a stunning riding area. Now, at the Red Rock Garage, they've got fuel. They've obviously got great coffee. They've also got camping. They've got a B&B, really, and some of the most spectacular riding anywhere. It's just a beautiful area. Check out their website. Um, oh, by the way, look at their link there that says Red Rock Retreat if you're looking for something a little different. 
to stay in. Anyway, it's high. It's in Beaverdale on Highway 33, Beaverdale, British Columbia on Highway 33. Their website is redrockgarage.ca, and that's the Red Rock Garage. Anytime you're dealing with them, talking to them, email, of course, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, redrockgarage.ca. I don't ride with a lot of modifications on my bike, but the few that I have really work well, and that's what's important to me. And my IMS products, uh, foot pegs, that's one of those mods that, well, actually, you know, riding with IMS foot pegs has convinced me that no matter what bike I got now, I would swap out stock pegs immediately for quality pegs like the ones IMS makes. Now that I have a feel for what they do for me, what these pegs do, because it's your connection between you and your bike. And for adventure bikes, heavy adventure bikes, it's really important. These um, IMS foot pegs, they make them with a cast certified stainless steel, a certified heat treating, which is a homogenizing and annealing process. They're built in the USA. They have a lifetime warranty. That's all great. That's enough to sell you on the toughness of the product, but it's the staggered tooth design. It's the it's the mud relief that they have with the, their watershed design. It's the design that goes into the pegs, that background work that make them so great. And of course, it's the manufacturing process that makes them so tough. IMSproducts.com is the website. And anytime you're dealing with them, anytime you talk with them, email them, please throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. You came back though, like you know, before this, you, you'd come back from your sabbatical. Was the sabbatical over? Did you go back to work? Or is that what you're doing at this time when you find the motorcycle and buy the motorcycle? Uh, yeah, I, I got the motorcycle. I never did go back to work. I um, I carried on having more and more adventures and uh, finding a way. I mean, I, I had some savings, so I thought, oh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be careful with my money and start uh, just, just being frugal. Um, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what ha- happens if I just keep on saying yes to opportunity. Um, and I started um, my own website, Existential Biker and, and blog, and I started writing about some of the thoughts that I have sort of allied to, you know, the universe and space and time and the psychology and, and why people do the things they do. Um, I've kind of always been a bit of a, a studier of, of human nature all my life. And I started to do all of that writing and, um, and just saying yes to things and, and, you know, particularly trying to help other people. And you know, I just found that life has just been sort of like a river. It's just, I'm just flowing with it. And, you know, there's a rock in my way. I'll just flow around it. And, and the stream is taking me all sorts of directions um, so, so for example, I, I found out about this amazing thing that's going on right now, which um, not everybody knows, has heard of. It's, it's called the Women Riders World Relay, and uh, it consists of um, thousands of women worldwide passing a baton from woman to woman um, across countries, um, over 100 countries. So, so the whole Bonneville thing came about because I was um, uh, I was just researching and, and I found out about this amazing thing going on this, and, and I, and it started, it was about January this year and it had started and I said, um, I contacted the admins and I said, Look, I, I know you probably don't need my help, but you know, I, I like to fix things. If there's anything I can do, just let me know. And, um, blow me down. They came back within about 20 minutes and said, well, actually we do have a problem. I said, our Italian ambassador, uh, and an ambassador is, um, person that kind of designs the routes 
um, sorts out the sponsorship, uh, gets the girls on board, does the events, kind of like a, a, a manager. So our, our Italian uh, ambassador unfortunately can't can't carry on. Uh, they're, they're not well. They can't do do the whole thing. And they said, "Would you help?" And I said, um, "Well, I don't speak Italian, and I don't really know an awful lot about Italy. But you know what? I won't let you down. I, I'll make sure that baton gets across from France to Slovenia. Um, you can rely on me." So um, at that point, I think I had four weeks to, to get everything going, and it was it was pretty tough because um, the language issue was a problem, and I couldn't really get an awful lot of support, and it's difficult to to get through to some companies and. Um, it, it was slow going. So I think by about two weeks left, I only had like three other girls to join me and none of them were Italian. Um, and then eventually, um, eventually uh, a lady came on board called Rosaria. She went in touch and said, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I organize um, many things in Italy, the distinguished gentleman's ride for Rome and I have my own babe's great escape to, I'll help you. So she, she had so many contacts that we were just up and flying after that. And we had about 13, 14 Italians join us within those two weeks. And um, and it was just fantastic. And uh, I've made these friends. These girls are still my friends and they will be friends forever, I think. But uh, Rosaria um, had uh, another thing which was bubbling under, which was um, her, her partner, it's um, uh, Dino Romano is a, a famous Italian customizer, and he, she told me about this amazing project that he had um, to enter a bike and and basically break the land speed record in a, an LPG bike, no less. And it fired my imagination. And um, she, I said to her, "Well, you know, how does this work?" She said, "Well, you know, we're, we're taking it to Italy, uh, from Italy to to the States in a big crate, and there's um, four pilots." And I said, "Oh, really? Four pilots?" She said, "Well, yeah, you know, it's the bike that goes for the record, and the pilots are kind of like incidental, and you're allowed five pilots, five pilots per bike." Um, and 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 she was talking, and I was thinking. She said that they had four and she said that you're allowed five so anyway it didn't take me long to do the math and I it did take me long to say look is there any possibility that I could be number five and she was taken aback obviously Louisa hang on a second hang on a second here (laughs) like don't you think this is a huge huge leap I mean I mean you've you've done the big bike thing you've gotten to that you, you went through the rain of riding in the rain and, and sort of overcome that. But, and then the women riders world relay as well in Italy. Now you're going to go and race a motorcycle at high speeds an experimental bike. Did, did that not set off, you know, bells and whistles for you saying caution? Um, not huge ones, I must say. Um, I don't know. I just have a faith that everything will be okay. <laughs> I I just felt that it was an opportunity that had to be grabbed. Um, a once in a lifetime. People dream of this. To to turn it down was not an option, or, or to not pursue it was not an option. It was so fantastic, and and it kind of it for me it it, it signifies how far you can go. You know, when you when you say yes to life, and when you when you you when you help other people as well, you know. And it's I I wanted to get this message out 
Um, and I wanted to for a little while, but I never really, I had this sort of imposter syndrome. I never really felt I had a good enough story, you know, uh, to tell. Um, but I thought this, this is the thing. This is a defining thing that if I can do this, you know, this, this grandmother comes along and beats one after another. She overcomes her fears, um, just through guts, determination and the help of other people, you know, what can other people do? You know, what, what can people say, ask themselves, well, why am I putting things off? Why am I saying no? You know, I want to do these things too. And, and, and I'm saying, yes, you can, because I can, you know, I am. And, and that, that's the message. And I thought that this was compelling enough outcome to say, look, I can prove it. You know, I'm not just full of hot air. You know, I can prove that if you, if you do say yes to life and you do just, just, you know, throw caution to the wind a little bit and and just let that river of life just just take you somewhere and say yes to it what what you know what are the outcomes could be amazing for you and and I felt that this was this was something that would prove that so um so so that was really how I, I found out about Bonneville and um yeah it did occur to me about Two weeks later, when Rosario went back, they had a, a she had a chat with the, the team, the Open Eyes Dream team, and um, and she had a chat with Dino and thought it through, and they said, yeah, okay, you can come. And then I thought, okay, um, what do I do about practicing for this? <laughs> do they not look for somebody who's experienced to do something like this? I mean, they're going to take someone who's never done this sort of style racing and, and take you and let you pilot this uh, presumably very expensive or and uh, with a machine with a lot of time put into it. They're going to let someone like that ride the bike and they're not concerned? Yeah, well, they, they knew I had a pedigree on the bike. So because by then I had been, you know, organizing this trip across Italy, um, I had done, I have done many thousands of miles up until that point. So I have come a long way in the in the two years until I met Rosaria and I did the Woman Riders World Relay. So they knew that I could ride. Um, I had become a, you know, I got a first in the Institute of Advanced Motorists and a gold in Rosper. These are, these are the highest standards that you can get in, in England for riding motorcycle. So I had that pedigree going for me. Now, uh, since then, I have actually ridden on the sand in Pendine on Pendine Beach, and um, so we have the in the UK we have um, uh, sand racing top speed events, and I I managed to get myself uh, a bike within a very short about time. I got myself a license and a bike, and I competed, and I think you know that it showed and gave the confidence to know that I would be okay. So yeah, I think. I think the reassurance was there that, you know, having met me uh, and known that I could ride and I'd ridden very well and many thousands of miles up to that point, it took me a while to get there. But I think I think there was enough there to reassure them. Describe the sand racing. Yeah. So I um, this is quite recent actually, and a, a couple of months ago I found out through my my friend who runs the bike experience, Paralympian. Talon um, about this event. I told him because he runs, a, he has his own racing team, Talon Racing. I told him what I was doing. He said, "Oh my goodness, you need to get some racing experience, and you need to go on the sand because the sand is the closest thing to salt that we have in the UK." And he said they do um, 
straight liners do this event twice a year. And, um, and I thought, okay, I said, well, when is, uh, when is the next event? And tapped it into his computer and said, oh, 10 days time. Oh, great. Um, right. Thanks for that. So I thought I cannot miss this opportunity. So I thought, what do I need? Uh, okay. I need a bike. Uh, I need leathers. I need boots. I need a helmet. Oh, I need a racing license. Um, and I need to get there. So I had 10 days. I went on to eBay and I found myself a, a Kawasaki ZX6R. I, um, I managed to get myself some leathers and some boots. I borrowed some gloves. Um, but uh, because I had no backup, the, the event was in Wales. Um, it meant that you know, on the day I had to go to the racing. Most people are going to the, this professional event. They're going with their backups. They've got their vans. They've got their mechanics, um, you know, and they've been working and tuning their bikes for months. And they've ridden it once uh, and re- making my own way 250 miles to, to Pendine Beach um, uh, with, with a a, a, my luggage strapped to the back of fairing with some, 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 just some string. <laughs> it's just, and, and my racing gear, and I, you know, pulling over the services, I must have looked quite strange <laughs> ordering a coffee in full racing gear. But yeah, that's all I could do because I couldn't carry any luggage because I had no support. But um, anyway, I rode there, and, and again, you know, the the whole community rallied around me. Um, the best place to learn, get tips, is in the pub. So on the Friday night before the race on Saturday, I went to the pub, uh, the local pub on the beach. Uh, I met up with this amazing group of lads, uh, Demon Designs Racing, and they took me under their wing. And they um, they gave me tips. They said, you know, right. Well, first of all, we have to disconnect your front brake. Uh, really? Yep, because you cannot touch your front brake when you are going at 130 miles an hour on the sand because you will flip immediately. So to reduce the chance of you flipping, disconnect the front brake. Okay, right, fine, you know, can do that. Um, and, and things like things like that and, and about how, you know, you have to take it very slowly and if you're turning on sand, a really wide arc, um, and they're, they're giving me all sorts of hints and hints and tips, and and really a huge amount of encouragement. And again, you know, you you you're buoyed by all of this. If people lift you up, and and I was lifted that night. And the next day, you know, I met up with people. And the organisers there uh, were hugely supportive. They knew that I was a rookie, and and they said, right, you know come to the briefing, let's talk, talk about what you need to do. And, and, you know, these are the safety aspects, etc. And, um, and it was just incredible, incredible experience of my life, you know, and, and such a worthwhile thing to do. Um, and it, it scared me, but you know, I remember, I remember pulling that throttle back on the sand, going faster and faster and faster. In fact, the faster you go on sand, the more stable it feels. Um, because at first, if you're going like below 50 or 60, you feel every little, you know, little ruck and every little shell that you go over. Um, and that's another thing we had to avoid, by the way. There were too many shells on the beach, so they had to be cleared. Uh, and you have to be careful of jellyfish. So I didn't realize how much of a hazard jellyfish could be <laughs> at oh, 100 great. miles an hour. could be spun off the bike. So, so, so that was that was my baptism of fire, and and all it did was give me a thirst for more. How fast? Uh, what, what sort of speeds are we talking here? Well, 
it won't sound a lot to some, but um, it was so the ACU record for my type of bike, which is a production bike with a production frame, production uh, engine, uh, was uh, 137 miles an hour. And that was set by another lady. And I achieved on my third run 127 miles an hour, wow. which I was hugely proud of because, you know, the background, the, the second-hand bike, the lack of experience. Ten days prep time. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this is what you can achieve if you if you don't give yourself an option to not to quit. Then, you know, you we are, as a human species, we're all capable of far more than we think. Um, and, you know, our biggest obstacle is our own mind and, and what we tell ourselves that are our limitations um, when really they are not. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I would encourage people to, to go out on a limb. You know, I've not regretted a single thing. And, and every time I've been afraid and got through it, I've just, you know, it, the world seems a color, more colorful place. And, you know, you, I'm so proud of myself and I'm, I don't mean to blow my own trumpet, but I really have gone through some tough, dark days and, and people have really helped me through it. So I'm, I'm chuffed. And I know that when I go to Bonneville, um, there'll be the support of the team and I want, I want this for, for not for myself. I want the record for Dino. I want it for him because he's come a long way. Um, and there's been a, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears gone into this bike, which is to an LPG bike that he's, he's designed. So it's the first race bike, LPG race bike ever. Um, could, you know, if, if that. The, the, he's, he's actually come up with a, a brand new uh, system to engine as well, which um, if that that could actually herald you know a complete revolution in the design of, of LPG engines. So you know there's a lot more. His life is on the line. His you know his his career almost, and his it's so important that he gets the record. Now I'm going to go on there because every pilot has the chance to get the record. Um, I will go as fast as I can. I, you know, I will, I will do myself proud if it's only 110 because I got there and I raced there. And that for me is, is the achievement, uh, the achievement of, of a lifetime. And you know, I will, I will do my best, uh, but I won't, I won't, I won't put my life at stake, you know, any, because it's, I have, I have three beautiful grandchildren and I have a beautiful family and I have this story to tell that I got there. Uh, and that's the story I want to come back and tell, um, you know, to everybody that I meet and hopefully inspire people to, to just do this, the things that they're putting off in their life. What speed is Dino looking to, to break with this propane powered motorcycle? The, the bike is um, uh, a 1,000cc uh, semi-streamlined, um, partially streamlined, sorry, uh, bike. The record stands for this type of bike at 239 miles an hour. So that's the record that we want to beat. Yeah. Mm. So he's really going to want all of you pilots to get out there and try and push as close as you can to breaking this 239 mile per hour run. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is about Bonneville, and it's really an interesting place. Um, as a rookie, you you go through a series of steps. You don't just get on the bike and go, go as fast as you can. You actually have to go through um, the, the California, South California Timing Association's um, licensing rules, which are you go in lane one, 
you ride um, up to say, and this is figuratively, it's not exact, but say up to naught to 60 miles an hour, you come back, you don't go faster, you come back and we stamp you and we give you a license that you can race on the salt flats up to 60 miles an hour. That's it. So, so, so the first run could be 10 miles an hour. You go back, you get your license for, for A license. Then you go for B license and that might be 60 to 100 miles an hour in, in lane two. So you've already had that experience of, of, of a, a kind of a gen, gentle speed and then you up it a little bit. And if you can get between those two speeds, you get stamped with B license. Okay, well, the, you, 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 you've achieved that. Then you go into the next lane and so on until you get to the real, the record breaker, the real long, so eight mile long tracks. And at those points, they say, right, you are now, you've licensed, you are licensed to ride a bike on the salt flats at these speeds. And it might be, say, 160 to 250 miles an hour. That is the point where we can, we can break a record um, because we know we have to go over, over 150 and, and we don't need to go over 239. We are actually allowed to do that. So it's, it is a gradual increase in speed every time. I think it would be far too dangerous to, to consider getting on a bike and trying to go that speed. There will be opportunities to, to, to get to know the bike. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'll work out my, as much as I can. Um, if I'm comfortable, I'll go, I'll go all the way. But I know that for me, just to, to do one, two or three, three licenses to race on the salt flats, is just amazing. And, and, and I'll be proud of that. Um, so that's, that's how, that's how the system runs over there. So it, it is quite thoughtful. It's, it's not, um, you know, they won't allow rookies to just blast it. Um, that would be too dangerous. And when is this year going? So August the 10th to 17th is Speed Week uh, in Utah. I'm not sure we filled in this this riding canvas fully to really paint the picture properly for you because you've done a bunch of other trips. Um, you also went down to to meet Claire Elston and and rode yes. there. Yes, yes. So so that again was, and and you know this is all thanks to you, Jen, because um, I heard Claire uh, on Adventure Rider Radio, and. Um, and she was so inspiring, uh, what she was doing, sort of setting up Tanzania's first all-female motorcycle workshop mm-hmm. and with um, an ambulance project. She was so inspiring. I got in touch with her and I said, can I help? And um, it turned out that I, I could. And this was last year, about summer last year. And uh, I went out there and spent a month with her, um, helping her with the project. And, and we're still, we're now great friends. So, you know, that, that was one, uh, another thing that came just by saying, you know, putting myself out and saying, what can I do to help? Um, and, and, you know, she's, she's written for me. It's, it's lovely. It's lovely to, to have her as a friend. And Sue Hollis is another friend who I know has been on your radio and it even, you know, uh, Coach Ramey, I've never met him, never spoke to him, and I know he sadly passed. But I, his his voice is in my ears when I'm doing something technical. I think of what he says, and and in fact, it helped me out when I was at the Taffy Drew, and uh, I was on an off road technical piece, and I was going downhill, and I just was not positioned on the bike very well. And I realized and I heard his voice saying, get back, get back, get back. And, and I got down the hill without falling off, which I was really, really pleased with because it did make a lot of difference moving my weight on the bike. So, so, you know, Adventure Ride Radio for me has been a um, really important source of, you know, uh, inspiration, I would say. Um, so yeah, that, that was another thing that colored in my, in my canvas. 
another thing I did was was because I know I've done a lot of organized tours, I wanted to see if I could hack it on my own. And I, I, um, I did my own trip for pilgrimage um, to see my great uncle's memorial, uh, which happened to be in Italy. I, um, I wanted to travel there because he lost his life um, when a, he, he was sunk by a, a U-boat submarine uh, torpedo and he was on a troop ship just off the coast of Savona. And um, no one in my family had ever been to see his name on inscribed on the war memorial um, in the cemetery at Zinola. And I thought, oh, this is the centenary year. It was, it was 2018. I need to, to see how, how I get on riding on my own. And um, I thought, what, what better thing to do than to finally go and, and see my great uncle and just pay my respects. So so that was something I did. And, and I found it was, you know, hugely enjoyable um just you know planning a route finding your way there and enjoying the alps and the alps were just beautiful to ride in um you know it's it's almost a transcendent thing when you're you're riding in the mountains i'm sure you you know what i mean it's it just takes you spiritually almost um you know up into the clouds and you just soar it's the most beautiful thing when you've got the weather on your side you've got the mountains beneath you and you've got empty roads, and um, and that this is what this is what I'd love other people to experience, you know. And this is why I talk about it so much. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sold the Indian, yes. yes, I did. And what you you went through a few bikes, really. Talk about that. Yeah. Yes. So uh, the, the Indian, I I really did enjoy it, but I thought I needed an adventure bike. And strictly looking back wasn't true i my, my first tour in europe uh, was on the indian and it was beautiful chrome looking bike but i was almost too beautiful to ride on, you know, to, uh, to ride yeah yeah <laughs> and and i thought you know i i wasn't because i then got a my ttr 250 which is a lovely lovely little off-road bike um and and i had um a tiger a tiger xrx at the time and i wasn't riding it enough and i, I just felt sorry for it there's this be- thing of beauty in, in the back of the garage so i think uh, you're so talking I'd about let somebody else enjoy it. yes yeah. yeah and and i thought um i'd let somebody else enjoy that so i thought well we've had our fun together um but um it, you know i'm I, I, I wouldn't discount getting another one because it, it is such a comfortable bike and such a cruiser. Um, and it did handle, you know, it handled the, the mounting hairpins and, you know, quite, quite fine. Luggage was slightly an issue, but, you know, hmm. you, you can, you can do it. You can do it. But as, as Sue Hollis says, you know, you can, you can take nearly any bike anywhere. Um, you know, you just have to be, that's a bit more careful and a bit more daring, but yeah, yeah, I, I did enjoy that bike. Um, my my bike now is the F eight fifty GS, which is a beautiful piece of engineering. Um, it's got the rally styling on it, so it looks it looks fucker, um, and that handles just about everything I can throw at it. The bike for Bonneville, the LPG bike, is being shipped over to America from Italy. Mm. And uh, I won't, I won't see that bike again now until I go to Utah. Um, I did have the pleasure of sitting on her last uh, launch in Milan, and I did steal away when everybody else was eating and drinking in the cafe, um, in the juice cafe. I, I, I found the bike in a 
quiet corner. And I thought, mm, this is an opportunity not to be missed. So um, I, I sat on the bike and I pretended that I was on the salt flats and uh, I adjusted my position and I crept down low. And then and then I realized that somebody was looking at me from the shadows. <laughs> and I thought, oh, suddenly became very self-conscious. But no, I, I'm a great believer in in having this kind of tactile memory of things. So so I sat on the bike and I, I visualized what it would be like and I my hands in the right position, I put my body in position and, you know, I felt, you know, how how this bike feels underneath me. And and yeah, just the power of your imagination is, is huge. You know, it really can pre- prepare you for something. Um, you know, you know, it's true that if you imagine working out, you actually put on muscle mass. Mm. Did you know that? Well, I haven't heard the muscle mass one, but I, I certainly know that it's, it's part of um, most training now for um, people who are in the Olympics, etc. They'll often do the the mental workouts or the, or the mental practice. Because if I've read that they're saying that your your brain fires the exact same way if you're imagining doing something or if you're actually yeah. doing it. So part exactly. of that is, is building that muscle memory, making those synaptic connections yeah. that, uh, that you're going to depend on when it comes time to use them. Absolutely right. Spot on, spot on. So, so rehearsing in my mind, you know, with, with, with actually having the bike underneath me, um, you know, I was, I was checking it out. It's a very long wheelbase um, and that's quite unusual. So I was just sort of getting a feel for the weight. And I know that that's the start of the training for me. Um, just, just, just picturing myself now because I've got a, a clear memory of what it is like to sit on that bike. So I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to be hopefully dreaming about it, thinking about it. I can imagine the sun and it's going to be relentless. You know, you, you actually get sunburn up your shorts because the, the sun is, is about 45, 50 degrees and it's beating down and it's reflecting off the salt and you'll get sunburn under your arms where you're not expecting it, you know? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's imagining something involving all the senses is the best way to get a more realistic and, training exercise for your, your your brain and and that's what I'll be doing um I'm under no illusions this is going to be tough this is going to be possibly the hardest thing I've ever done um you know it, it's going to be huge temperatures you have your, you know your life is in your hands um you know it's it's going to be listened to all of the the advice the briefings um but the best advice will be to myself and it's know your limits and I I'm pretty sure I know mine. Um, I I will do my best, but I have I have people to come home to, so you know I'm going to be careful. So the victory for me is just getting there. Are you scared? Um, no, no, not yet. I think that if if anything is. Pendine was the time I was scared. I, I tend to, I tend to get scared when I'm doing something, not before I do it. So I don't f- like flying very much, and but I'm absolutely fine until the wheels come off the ground. Um, and it's the same, I think, with with riding a motorbike. I, you know, you can take me up to, to the start line, and I'm fine. I'm sitting there. I can chat. Um, then all of a sudden flag goes and you're riding and I'm still fine. I'm still fine for the first three or four seconds. Then the comfort zone ends. And at that point, I know from experience at that point, 
I have to overcome fear with every twist of the throttle. And that's what happened at Pendine. Um, and I, I remember, you know, actually time stopped for me. And I was doing the, the flying, the standing mile. Time stopped. So halfway through, um, I felt I, I projected myself into the future where I was past the finish, the checkerboard. I, I, I willed myself to keep pulling that throttle back with the promise that I wouldn't do it again. And I broke my promise to myself three times because when I'd done it, I went back again. Um, you know, it's, it is, it is mind over matter, but I, I know I won't feel afraid until I'm on the salt. At that point, I will, I will overcome it um, because I've done it in the past, but you know, I'm not, I'm not superwoman. I'm, you know, I'm just a nanny. I just, I just say, I, I just do my best. And I know I'll do my best in the flats. I want to ask you um, two questions really, or about two things. Let me say the first one that you mentioned several times throughout everything you've said here is about, you've got out there and you've asked for help. You, you said one thing that kind of made me chuckle. I don't think you heard me, but um, you said the best place to ask for help is in the pub. Well, that's, that's not the case that you would get in North America. I don't think as many people would agree with you with that. But in any case, you said about asking for help a lot. How can you, or how do you ask for help? Because now, before you answer, I have to qualify this for all the people out there who will say, well, easy for her to say, because not everyone is forward. Not everyone finds it easy to approach people they don't know or walk into a pub and start asking questions and say, hey, I'm the person that knows nothing. Will you teach me something? So is, is it your nature or do you have a method? How do you ask for help? That's a very good question. I, I think I... I am not afraid to show my vulnerability. So uh, I kind of feel that everybody, everybody has a, you know, is, is, is a little bit afraid sometimes and afraid to ask for help because they might be afraid of how they, they might come across. People try and put up a, a persona sometimes of, of being okay or being confident. Um, and, and, I really, I feel, feel that that is a way, as a barrier when you do that because people warn to you much more if they can see, see that you're just like them, that you actually, sometimes you don't, don't really know what to do. Sometimes you, you feel afraid of putting your hand up and you, you don't want to look like a fool. You have to remember that we're all like that. And in fact, if somebody else demonstrates that, 99 people out of 100 will just say, I recognize that feeling. I recognize that person because that's me. Uh, so I, I think the way that I, I tend to do it is by saying, well, putting my cards on the table and saying, I'm a novice. I, I'm a little bit worried about what's going to happen. Um, I really have no idea you know, what it's like. And Appendine in particular, um, I, I went, I, you know, must admit, social media has been really, you know, good in in a way that it brings people together. Everything is good and bad side, but for me, going on to you know, the Straight Liners um, forum and just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm new at this. I'm you know a little worried. Is there any top tips you can give me? Is there anyone I can meet uh, when I get to Pendine Sands uh, who can kind of show me the ropes?" And you'd 
be surprised how many people come forward. Um, see, 99 people out of 100 want to help. Um, you know, it's, it's in our, it's human nature to try and help people. Uh, I think, I think it's, 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 people don't realize just how much people are there, you know, happy to help. I know I am. So, so when I did this, you know, and I was, I got so many offers of help, um, you know, and, and it's a, culminated in meeting down the pub and, you know, what, what do you need? What questions have you got? Um, you know, I'll help you. And I think it's just displaying my vulnerability and, you know, I just put, you just put your hands up and say, I'm human. Um, I'm not, I'm not really much different from you. I'm, I'm, you know, I have weaknesses, um, but I'm willing to learn and people are willing to teach. And especially, you know, it's in the motorcycling arena because it's passion and people share their passions. They tend to like sharing their passions. So, uh, you know, you walk into a bar full of motorcyclists and, you know, they'll ask you what, what bike you ride uh, and they'll ask you what you think about it. And then they'll tell you about their bike and then you'll ask their opinion. And, and that's, and it, the conversation will flow and it will end only when the time bell rings, you know? Um, so that's, that's, I guess, you know, that's how I guess I, I'm able to get help is just by, by showing that I'm vulnerable and that I need it and not being afraid to, to not look like an expert. I think most people would agree that the, the reason they would be afraid to ask for help was fear of being judged. Because when you go in and you say you don't know what you're doing, people, well, some people, and not all, of course, but some people will judge you that way. And then they will, you know, sort of nod their heads and, and have a certain attitude about you. How do you not let that undermine what you're doing when you ask for help? Yeah, there's a, a great saying that, um, that the people that matter don't mind and the people that mind don't matter. And, you know, I might be judged by people. You know, it's crossed my mind, Jim, that you know, I've, I've been quite open about all of this on, on this, this interview. And I, you know, a little part of me thinks, oh, people are going to be saying, what an idiot. You know, she's taken off far too much. Um, you know, how could she even think that she's going to make Bonneville? Oh, God. Yeah. You know, there, there are going to be people who think that, but it, really doesn't matter um, because they're not living my life. I'm living it. And I, I you know, I, I don't wish any ill of people who judge. I just think, you know, it, it really doesn't influence me at all. It, it doesn't bother me because what, what is it? Um, you know, what it, if, if that's what stops you, then that's the real injustice, I think. But you, you choose, you choose your, your, your reaction to, to things in this world. You don't choose what happens to you, but you can choose your reaction to it. So I choose to not be bothered by people who judge me because the people that care about me are right behind me. and They are the ones that I care about and that matter to me. Um, if they say they're worried about what I'm doing, then, you know, I, I will say, okay, let me hear your concerns and let me tell you how I'm going to try and mitigate them. Um, you know, I'm, this is an incredible adventure, um, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going in with my eyes closed. I know how hard it's going to be. Um, it's a team effort, ultimately. Say, so I, I'm, I would be delighted if, if one of the other team members get the record. You know, even if I don't get it, I would be more than delighted because, you know, I, I, I their joy would be reflected inside me. So. That's it, you know. 
if I say to people, don't don't let other people's judgment of you affect your life. Is if people will judge you and then they'll move on to something else. Don't let it leave a lasting impression that changes your life. It's what a you know what a shame to to have let other people have that much power over your 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 happiness. So you know that that's why I think you know I only good has ever come from me expressing my my need for other people's assistance um you know i've made friends and i've learned things and you know there are very few people who are that bad and nasty really i i 99 of people are good people and they want you to do well so you know just bear that in mind live for those people not for the one percent who who unfortunately whatever reason uh, they've not had a happy life will will judge others judge others perhaps because they've been judged themselves so so move on from that is what i would say several times many times you've mentioned about getting the message out get, talking to people uh, about what you do <laughs> too many times maybe <laughs> no, 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 not at all <laughs> many, many times you've mentioned about a message about getting a message out what is the message what what is the message in the simplest form it is to remember you have a choice and that you are free to have a choice and that you you are not always as trapped as you think you are in life. And if you feel you have a burning need to do something, or to change something, to not be afraid to do it, find a way to do it um, and the world will open up to you in ways that you can't imagine. Well, Louisa, I wish you the best of luck at Bonneville. I will certainly be watching to see how you do there and uh, and what sort of record you make, even for yourself at Bonneville. I think it's just an amazing thing. Thank you very much for sharing your story with us. You're very welcome. And thank you, Jim, for an amazing podcast, which I love. And I, yeah, I will listen to it for many years. Thank you. That was Louisa Sweden, and you can find out more about Louisa at her website, existentialbiker.com. And of course, that link will be in the show notes, as well as some photographs from Louisa, all on our website at adventureriderradio.com in the show notes. And by the way, if you're ever looking for a specific topic or an episode, or maybe you're looking for this episode here with Louisa, you can just take her name, her last name, her first name, whatever you, you can think of, whatever you can remember from the episode, and type it into the search field um, on the right-hand column on most pages on our website. It'll bring up results. You'd be amazed at the results that come up. I mean, you can even search for women riders or or maybe racing. I mean, you can try anything in there. We've got a lot of keywords, that tags that are on each episode. It's a great way to find um, what you're looking for and maybe some extra things as well. Um, all that on the search field on our website. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio.
Well, that wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, if you haven't done it already, we would love to get your review on iTunes and Facebook and anywhere else you can find the podcast. Drop in there, and of course, while we're after is a five-star review, right? And there's another way you can help out because this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. And we really need your listener support. We really need you to come up and help support the show. If you enjoy what you're listening to every week and we're bringing information and entertainment, I would strongly encourage you to consider at least drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. We get a bunch of different options there. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker for your pannier. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Raw show, which is our other show that you have to subscribe separately to, by the way. Um, and we also have our, our patrons set up there. Um, matter of fact, we set patron up because we had listeners telling us to do it, that they wanted support through it. So we would love it if you would consider that as well. Um, you can just do a small amount every month and help the show out. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike. Thank you very much once again for listening. My name is Jim Martin. See you next week. This is Max McAllister from Traction Dynamics, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.